Welcome to Hire the Smile, the podcast on all things related to human resources and veterinary medicine. Join me, Katie Ardeline, and my colleague, Mike Pownell, as we discuss how to support and take care of the people who are instrumental in making your business a success. Great businesses share one common feature. They focus on taking care of their employees. They create businesses where everyone feels empowered and motivated to be the best they can be. These businesses want highly engaged employees and they do whatever it takes to make this happen because they know that highly engaged employees lead to more growth, client loyalty, and profitability. Veterinary medicine is a challenging profession, but it can be made so much easier if we build business cultures that attract and retain the best people. Subscribe to Hire the Smile for great discussions on taking care of the people that make us all better. Hi, I'm Mike Connell, and welcome to another episode of Hire the Smile, where we discuss things related to HR, human resources, and the veterinary profession. And as always, well, pretty well always, not 100% always. Almost always. Almost always. I'm joined by the real brains behind the operation, Katie Arline. Hey, Katie, how are you? Michael, good, thanks. So you've been busy. I have barely seen you in the last two weeks. You've been a busy, busy person. Yeah, so I'm working on an employee engagement survey, actually, with associated interviews for a large practice. And it's just so interesting. You know, these are all different, but often... The themes that come out of them are the same, and it's always a learning experience, and it's always a challenge to my perceptions or preconceived biases or notions about why things are the way they are. And I think, too, doing a survey of the size that I'm doing, it's very interesting to see the range of perception that people have about things, you know, extremes of very, very happy, very, very unhappy people in the same roles and all that kind of thing. So anyway, just really interesting. I really like doing them. Yeah, I like doing them too. What I love are the people that are in a practice and, and we're so lucky in our profession because a lot of professions where you're doing a job, but there's not really a lot of meaning or purpose, but everybody can get behind taking care of animals. Yeah. And we work so closely together in a vet practice that we really do tend to really like who we work with too and our customers. I love that passion that people have for their jobs. Yeah, absolutely. What's new with you? Uh, from the hat of being a practice owner, it's just like every other practice owner is just uh, looking at retaining staff, finding staff. We're a growing practice and lucky that we have a new vet who is actually flying in tomorrow, picking her up at the airport tomorrow night. Exciting. Starts with us next week. So yeah, a lot of really exciting things. Our first intern started last week. Mm-hmm. And uh, now, you know, I realized then this is really, I kind of knew, but this was like really the solid basis that our practice is so large and yet we have such great people that can make decisions on behalf of the practice. So we hired this intern. I think I met her once. She worked for us for summer, summer 2020 when the height of COVID and with strict, strict, you know, social distancing and everybody's Mm -hmm. wearing masks. I may have met her. And if I did, it was all, hi, how are you? Welcome. Enjoy the summer. Yeah. And so I still haven't met her yet, but it's just so cool. And we have a podcast with her and there's her meet the vet video and what an extraordinary young woman. So I get to meet her next week. I'm really happy. Well, that's good. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like things are uh, going the right direction, which is yeah. encouraging. And I just love the fact that other people were able to say, hey, this is the value, the culture of the company. This is who we need to bring on as an intern. So I thought that was pretty cool. Absolutely. 
So today, uh, a subject that's uh, we skirt around a lot, we refer to it a lot. This is one of my favorite things to talk about because this is one of the things, this subject where I've learned the most about myself. One of the things that, and uh, talking about when you're managing staff and performance reviews and just ongoing coaching is, do we focus on the person's strengths Mm -hmm. or do we focus on fixing their weaknesses? Mm -hmm. So that is a question. So before we start, let's define strengths versus what is a weakness. Do you have a definition, Katie, that you like to use? To me, a strength is something that comes to you easily. It's a power that you can use. It's at the tip of your fingers all the time. It's something that it comes to you rather effortlessly, whether you've worked on it or not to make it even stronger. To me, that is a strength. What what do you think a strength is? I would say it's something that energizes you, that excites you, that you look forward to. Because I was thinking of your definition and I was thinking like, does it come easy to me? I could be an absolute asshole and that comes easy to me. Mm-hmm. So I like the idea that it, it's less effort. I mean, you still have to work at it, but you're excited about it. Yeah. It's more uh, just comes to you. People are like, oh, you're really good at this. And you're like, I don't know. It's just the way I am. You yeah. know, it's, it's one of those things that it's just easy. To me, defining a weakness is a little easier and, you know, to go along with our Oculus tagline, which is removing obstacles in the way of success. To me, a weakness is something that is in the way of your success. And, you know, I think about it, say, in the, when we've talked a couple of times about those high performers and how you sometimes get through to a star performer who might be not uh, being a team player and you, you uh, appeal to the fact that this weakness could hold them back in their career. So to mm. me, it's something that isn't a superpower for you. Yeah, no, I look at it yeah, similarly, but I, I would add that to me, it's the converse or the opposite of being the strength that gives you energy. It's something that drains energy out of you mm-hmm. and you don't like doing it. You may be really good at it, but you don't like doing it. And you're just sort of, you're looking at your computer or you're looking at a procedure or what have you. And you're just like, oh, and I think in the vet field, I mean, I can see, I know some vets who really love doing medical records. Mm. And then others, like you, you've almost have got to force them, like lock them in the room and say, you're not leaving until you get your records done. You're not for getting the day. paid until you get your yeah. <laughs> And I think that's an example of like, some people are just like, I'm getting into it. And others are like, I just, I'm of the latter. When it comes to medical records, it's like, I'd rather do anything. Mm-hmm. I'll find any excuse to procrastinate. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about that. So the argument is, do we spend time developing what is innately right with a person versus trying to fix what's wrong with them? And so this is based on a Harvard Business Review article, our favorite, but it's called Developing Employee Strengths, Boost Sales, Profit, and Engagement by Brandon Ragoni and Jim Asplund. Uh, this is back in September 2016. I love looking at these old articles because it starts talking about it's the most challenging time. We have the hardest time keeping staff. And I'm like, dude, just wait four or five <laughs> hold, years. Hold my got, beer. <laughs> 2016, just hold on. <laughs> yeah. You thought you had a part then? Just wait. Yeah. Yeah. So what they talk about is that obviously they're geared towards let's work on strengths. So they say, for example, the more hours a day adults believe in their strengths, the more likely they are to report having energy, feeling rested, being happy smiling, laughing a lot, learning something interesting, and being treated with respect. 
And also other studies have shown that people who use their strengths every day are more than three times more likely to report having an excellent quality of life and six times more likely to be engaged at work. So already we're starting to see why focusing on strengths is important in our business, particularly when so many of us were really struggling with retaining and keeping people in our businesses. So this is research based on Gallup, who really spends a lot of time measuring employee engagement, employee happiness, what have you. And so they did a a study of a large study of companies that use what they called strength-based management based on the Clifton Strengths Assessment. So Google that. There's a whole there's a whole industry on Clifton Strengths. So what they found is that the groups that received strengths-based intervention improved on many measures by a significant amount compared to with control groups that received less intensive interventions or none at all. So here are some statistics because I know you love data, mm, Katie. I know you. Data is my favorite. Oh, yeah. yeah, especially remembering it. That's yeah. your strength. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so a ten to nineteen percent increase in sales, mm-hmm. fourteen to twenty nine percent increase in profit, three to seven percent increase in customer engagement. Okay. Nine to fifteen percent increase in engaged employees. That's mm, huge, baby. That is big. Six to 16 point decrease in turnover, and that is people are in low turnover organizations. This is a good one, and this is every veterinary practice owner and leader should be listening to this next one 26 to 72 percent decrease in turnover in a high turnover organization. And I would say, where we are now, I think most veterinary practices we really straddle between low and high. We may have been low turnover, but just the way the world is now. Mm-hmm. And again, another very important one, 22 to 59% decrease in safety incidents. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Considering we had one of our vets got kicked really, really hard last week. I don't know if that would have changed anything. I don't know if the horse was happy or not, but anyway. So what are the things that we need to think about when we're focusing on building strength? Number one, Always, and I know you and I were in a conversation earlier with somebody, and this is where it all begins with start with leadership. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, we could just put that on repeat all the time. If the leadership doesn't care about it, nobody else will care about it. So, for example, that's where they found the increased profits multiplies when top leaders really push strengths through the entire organization. Next point is get the managers on board, which I think is true. So if you're in an organization, you're the practice owner and you have some managers, it's one thing for you as a leader to be engaged, but you've got to get your managers to get engaged. Mm -hmm. So that they say is the best way for employers to maximize worker strengths is through their managers. Almost seven in 10 employees who strongly agree that their manager focuses on their strengths or positive characteristics are engaged. Starts from the top, trickles on down. Mm -hmm. Generate awareness and enthusiasm company-wide. I know when we do employee engagement surveys, communication is probably the Achilles heel of every practice. Mm -hmm. But really, when we're working on focusing on strengths and the strengths of the team, the strengths of the individuals, really communicate that all the time. And when that is communicated all the time, everybody just starts developing their own strengths. So one thing that I found interesting, because my other side of the hat, I love HR. The flip side of it is I love business strategy. And so they say, 
Leaders should also communicate their business strategy in terms of their organization's competitive strength points mm. or their strong points, whether it's customer service, whether it's your imaging services, whether it's your surgical, what have you, that's where you really focus on. So I think it's much like an individual, a company is better to really promote their strengths and not so much the weaknesses. You'll love this next part. Additionally, the company should uh, deliver praise throughout the organizations mm -hmm. in ways that convey how individuals and teams within have relied on their strengths to be successful. Yeah, I can get on board with that. Yeah, we like praise. Mm -hmm. The other big thing, I was reading this, and I'm like, I never read this article before we were researching. I was like, wow, this is a lot like the Oculus human resources framework because the next one is, Focus performance reviews on the recognitions and development of employer strengths. So when we're doing performance reviews, have the reviews that encourage and make use of employees' talents and offer recognition and development align with their strengths. Mm -hmm. Provide clear performance expectations, help workers set demanding achievable goals. One of the results of a strengths-based performance management is that employees feel their managers know and respect them which in turn boosts their performance. So rather than focusing on the nitpicky, like this is where you suck, which is where a lot of performance reviews have been in the past, this one really goes, you know what? This is where you're good at. How do we bring more of your strength out? Yeah, okay. You're not buying this at all, are you? <laughs> I am buying some of it, but I'm also thinking, okay, there's consequences to that. But yeah, go on. All right, when do you want to talk about the consequences? I'm just thinking... In the context of having a performance review that's sort of catered or circled around somebody's strengths, there's a danger where you're really catering a role to somebody's strengths. They can kind of, in some personalities who are really risk averse or who really don't like to step outside of their comfort zone, I feel like there's a risk where they kind of wall themselves off and they curate exactly what they want to do and they have a firm line about what they don't want to do and they're never really pushed and then you know it could create resentment because there might be other employees in the organization who are like oh yeah okay well i'm going to work on my weaknesses and that's fine but then you have people who sort of are allowed to just do what they're strong at and i just wonder is that the healthiest thing to do it could be an inequitable thing the other staff are like well i just want to do the stuff i'm good at too but then that person also just doesn't ever develop. Like they're never pushed to try and get better. So that's the rub for me there. I totally agree that we should be focusing on strengths. And I mean, it, it definitely makes sense because somebody's not great at something, they're not great at something. But I think you lose something when you're not trying to pop yourself outside of that comfort zone, which often is people's strengths. So that's like a really good segue into your article. Isn't it? Isn't it? That's oh like, almost like you planned it that way. Uh, okay. So I've got an uh, article from our good friend, Tlnt, TLNT.com. Uh, it's called Why HR Has to Make Staff Uncomfortable Before They Can Grow. So a bit of a counterpoint to what you were talking about. Talks about how uh, leadership at HQ did a, a survey that found that employees who are always learning new things are 10 times more likely to give their best effort at work. And it acknowledges, though, that the work that goes into achieving big accomplishments isn't always fun. 
So you almost always have to step outside your comfort zone. So I'm thinking, I mean, you can have strengths and that's cool, but you're kind of coasting. You're like, okay, I'm good at this stuff, the end. And you could get bored because you're only working on what you're good at. So, I mean, it depends on the personality, but to me, that's kind of one of the dangers. Survey goes on to say that only 44% of leaders push people to develop their weaknesses. They'd rather work on their strengths. Um, you know, again, it's not a recipe for disaster to only work on strengths, but it's also not a recipe for significant growth and development either. 50% of people want a leader that encourages growth. They want to learn and grow. And then another 20% of people want somebody who's even more intense. So somebody that has really high standards and expects employees and themselves to meet those standards. You know, they value hitting goals. They value being driven and competitive. So overall, two-thirds of employees really want a leader who's going to force them to grow, even if that means there'll sometimes be discomfort. And I think that's really significant. You might say, okay, well, we're only going to work on your strengths. And maybe you have people who are like, well, but I want to, I want more than that. I want to round myself and make myself better. So the article goes on to say that HR has a place in believing that people actually want to be pushed. The article does say that HR themselves, a very small percentage of HR people believe that people should work on their weaknesses. But if you are losing your best and your brightest staff, I mean, obviously right now, there are various reasons why that could be happening. But if people who are learning more things are 10 times more likely to give their best effort at work, maybe the people who are leaving aren't being challenged. So I think that that's something to think about. Reading this article made me think back to Carol Dweck, who we've talked about before. She's Mm -hmm. got that wonderful seminal book mindset. She talks about how people who push themselves and work on the hard things are the ones that achieve. You know, thinking, uh, I've got a friend who, she's a runner. And I remember we were doing the same race one time and there was a, a, a portion of the race where it was on like a, a lake shore and it was on a boardwalk and it was kind of bouncy and it was really, there was a huge headwind. And I remember uh, it was a relay we were doing actually. And she came to me and she gave me the baton. She's like, oh, watch out for that boardwalk. It just sucks. And I was like, okay, well, it's wind. Like it's just how it is. And from that, you know, to this day, and it's been like 10 years, she's like, oh, I hate running in the wind. And it's like, well, something you could get used to, but you know, she has that fixed mindset of the wind sucks and I'm never going to get better at it. So, you know, you're limited. It's then it's like, well, I'm not going to go running on a windy day, or if you don't like the cold, I'm not going to go running on a cold day. So you kind of miss those opportunities for growth or for building resilience because you're staying in your comfort zone and staying only in the places where you're strong. So Another thing that Carol Dweck talks about is that we assume that we're given gifts, you know, fixed gifts, and we only work on those things. So we're only good at one thing from birth, a couple of things from birth, and that's it. That's what you're dealt with. But then you think about that mindset where like, no, like actually you can work on your current weaknesses and maybe you don't even know it's a strength. Maybe this is a strength that just hasn't been uncovered yet. What if in grade six, when everybody chooses what musical instrument they want to play, you choose the clarinet and you're terrible at it, and you're like, I'm just not good at music, but what if you'd picked up a pair of drumsticks instead, and you actually were amazing at drumming? How would you ever know if you just sort of said, I'm just not good at that, so I'm not going to develop that? So I think we thrive when we're challenged, and we're pushing ourselves forward, and you know that, that idea of that mindset, the growth mindset is, what can I learn from this? this you know, I might have not achieved what I wanted to achieve, but there's still something that I learned here, So going beyond thinking of, okay, well, this was my weakness. Obviously I failed at it. It's like, okay, no, what, what did I learn and what can I do differently next time? You don't always want to give up when something's hard. We want to develop things. 
everything's a learning opportunity. And I, I really like that idea of a weakness is maybe a strength that you just haven't developed yet. You haven't gone out of your comfort zone to develop it and see where it leads you. Just having a well-rounded idea and really busting out and feeling out your strengths and weaknesses is really good exercise and self-awareness as well. So maybe it is a legitimate weakness. You know, it's going to be really insurmountable and really painful for you to get better at it, but at least, you know, you tried and you're like, okay, yeah, this isn't just me sort of being lazy and giving up because it was a little bit hard. This is legitimate. So anyway, that's me on my soapbox about things, but just working with staff so often who put themselves in a little box and they're like, I'm just not good at that. It's like, well, what have you tried to to make it better? And they're like, well, I, I did it once and I failed. So obviously it's a weakness. It's like, well, that's not the end of the road. So that's my kind of balance to that. I mean, I totally agree. People are happier when they work on their strengths. You know, I think about when I'm in a flow zone of doing work and it's when I'm in working on something that's strong, you know, because it's not, it's something that comes easily and that, that I enjoy developing. But I think we're missing out on something if we don't have a discussion about weaknesses and that the process of just working on them is something that can help us with our personal growth. That's my rant. Uh, that's a great one. I, I wrote down so many notes there. Hopefully you can oh get some ideas. So no, this is good because I'm just thinking of, you know, okay, what are other areas of strengths and weaknesses? And I love the idea because it's so easy when, you know, as you said, that I did it once, it didn't work. Well, I mean, many of us would not be where we are if that's all we did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not preaching as somebody who is whoever was like, I'm going to work on all my weaknesses and it's going to be awesome. But I will say in those times where I step outside my comfort zone a little and then a little more, that's when those breakthroughs happen. You have to just take the risk. And I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen unless you like, you know, maybe your weaknesses skydiving, <laughs> like didn't prepare properly or something like that. But there are very few things that are going to kill you. If you just try and see what happens and just... It, it can be really hard for the ego when you fail, but it's like, okay, well, let's just think about how you can change your mindset to like, okay, how can I actually grow from this? And I think that that comes with maturity for me. There are definitely things like in high school, you know, I wanted to be a veterinarian ever since I was a little kid and I was at summer camp and we like put our fingers in like a pig's heart or something. I was like, oh, I want to do this. And then I hit high school biology and I was like, ooh, this is hard. I'm obviously never going to be a vet. What had happened if I'd had the emotional maturity at the time to be like, I just need more help with this. Maybe there's something else I want to do. Something I could do or help that I can get and the light will come on. But at the time I was like, nah, I'm just not good at it. You know, so it's interesting for sure. Well, like most things, the right answer is somewhere in the middle. Always. Always. Well, most of the time. So (laughs) this last article is actually from Gallup itself. Yeah. To Unleash People's Strengths, Help Them Manage Weaknesses by Dean Jones and Jessica Buono. And so basically what they say, you know, we're almost looking at, we're looking at a binary, all strengths, or let's just pick on people's weaknesses. If anything out of this discussion is, it it has to be a balanced approach. All Mm -hmm. we're doing is focusing on strengths. We got to look at their weaknesses. And if all you're doing is focusing on people's weaknesses and not finding those areas of strengths, well, that's pretty demoralizing. Totally. And so you don't want to be there. So what they talk about is a strength-based approach development is to define, understand, and address weaknesses in the context of strengths. Mm -hmm. So we need to talk about their weaknesses along with their strengths, just because they're sort of like, you know, weaknesses are, are sort of the flip side, the yin and yang of the strengths. And so usually some people that have strengths in one areas, and we all have that, 
I'm a big picture person. I've mentioned that, and you know, I see well how things are all interconnected. But when I have to get down into the weeds, it blows me apart. I just can't do it. So I would really be challenged to be an effective lawyer who has to read contracts all the time. Mm-hmm. I would struggle with that. So, but you knowing what they're basically is, if you know your weaknesses, it starts to really help you. And I think I like what you talked about, you know, your example with high school biology. And that weaknesses are the specific behaviors that prevent people from realizing the full impact on the expression of their strengths. Mm. So we really can't fix the weakness, but we can sort of manage it. And so how do we do that? So they talk about three areas. Number one is being self-aware to know that you have weaknesses. Yeah. And I could tell you, I know we've we've done uh, performance reviews at our own business. And as the owner, you know, something that we always emphasize of other practices, I get reviewed as well, too. And I had the privilege of having you and our operations manager review me and be part of the meeting when we had our last performance review. And there are areas that you bring up that are probably consistent over the years because those are my weaknesses. I'm aware of them. Mm-hmm. But it is satisfying to know as I'm sometimes I'm not as bad <laughs> or it's not as obvious a weakness. Like put your damn phone down, Mike. Yeah. You know, sometimes it gets better over time. Yeah. Well, and I think the thing is, and the article talks about this, issues of self-awareness include claiming strengths they don't possess, failing to see their own weaknesses, and most importantly, the impact those weaknesses have being defensive and self-protective around weaknesses and non-talents and viewing their areas of weakness as more valuable and important to develop than expressing their areas of strength. So I think the difference is that you went through a significant journey and it continue as most of us do go through a significant journey of self-awareness to be like, okay, I know this is a problem for me. I know when I get triggered, when X, Y, Z happens, and I'm going to be upfront about this. And I think that that's the big thing is like, okay, Hey guys, I have some huge ideas. And in the past, you might've been like, where are we at with this after like two days? And everyone's like, geez, Mike, like it's, this is a lot of details. Whereas now you're like, I know there are a lot of details involved in this. Can you tell me what a reasonable time frame is to achieve this? That's a journey of that self-awareness towards, again, it's not, you're not necessarily going to become captain details, but you can mitigate the impact that your weakness has on other people. Yeah, and that's what I liked about this list of the issues of self-awareness, that mm-hmm. second one of the impacts you have on others. Yeah. Because we do work as a team and we depend on each other. And having that awareness of your weaknesses, you're like, okay, I need to, when I'm in this situation, it's a weakness. I've got to step up because other people are going to de- depend on me to fulfill a role. Yes. So I think I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Me too. Yeah. So, which ties into the next one is mm-hmm. after awareness is taking responsibility for your weaknesses. And so, as we just said, especially the, the impact on others, I found this interesting because we see this a lot. And I think it's just the tendency of people that get into veterinary medicine, whether they're a technician or a veterinarian or receptionist, you know, taking responsibility can often be associated with blame or mm-hmm. fault finding or an omission of guilt it's really a powerful move for anyone's leaders, especially to acknowledge what others see and its impact and then demonstrate a willingness to be accountable for it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, we see this in so, so often we I know we have meetings with veterinarian support staff and different practices and 
there's something liberating to the person and to the people they work with when they can go, I'm struggling in this area. I -hmm. need your help. Can you point out when I fail on this? Because I'm not recognizing it. When somebody has that transparency and genuine concern about it and how it impacts others, it's such a powerful message that it sends to other people. Building that trust. Yeah, it, it just has such an impact on people. And, you know, when you are on the opposite side of that and you are defensive about your weaknesses or as a leader, if you're blaming weaknesses on other people, I mean, that's like kiss of death for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it really, it can evaporate trust that you might have built or goodwill that you've built. It can really evaporate that really quickly. It's so hard to build it back. And then the last point is just talking about how do you use your strengths as a mechanism to improve on your weaknesses. So tricky. I like it. All right. (laughs) It's like like such an HR thing. Like I would, as an HR person, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. But I can like, as my, an employee, I'm like rolling my eyes, like, Oh Jesus, just another HR mumbo jumbo thing. But I totally agree. But it's just funny. When I read this one, I was like, of course. (laughs) So what are some examples that you've seen in this as an HR person? just challenging people to think about, it's like a perspectives thing. So, you know, look at this from another perspective or look at this problem from somewhere else. Say you have a veterinarian who is like hyper-focused and hyper, like comes to work and they're like, okay, this is what I need done and I need it done in X, Y, Z and and blah, blah, blah. But their weakness is that they don't necessarily see how that affects other people. So, you know, in that case, you could say, okay, well, why don't you use that drive or that, that amount of focus to help the other people improve a process or something like that. And you can also use it to say, okay, well, maybe I'll, I'll use my hyper A type personality and say, Hey guys, I recognize it. Can you guys give me, tell me every single time that I annoy you. You know, like keep us, and I'm going to write it down in my notebook and like really keep score. And I've definitely seen that with some, especially with some leaders. You're like, okay, well, it becomes a whole thing for them where they've got a little black book and they write down every time that they get that kind of feedback. So that that could be an example for sure. Uh, I mean, use what you're good at to help ease what you're bad at. Like it, it just seems so simple. I think what this discussion really highlights is that teams are composed of diverse individuals. Mm-hmm. So A, it gives us a really, it should drive us to really hire people that are going to complement the team. Yeah. For sure. It also uh, is something that you're talking about for your article. As a leader, not everybody wants to be approached the same way. And this really gets us into situational leadership on, you know, you've got to have a lot of tools in your toolbox as a leader. Like this person's competitive. They want to be pushed. I can really challenge them. Another person, it's a bit of a slow walk towards it. They need to develop the confidence as they're developing weaknesses that before you push them. So that's the beauty of, and the blurred line between management and leadership, whereas management is like, this is what we need to get done. Uh, Whereas leadership is, this is what we need to get done. And how can I help you and your unique self get it done? And I think a lot of the time managers are like, oh, I have to change my approach. And especially for something like training, like why can't everybody just learn the same way? And it's like, well, they just can't. So we have to adapt and it might be painful and it might take more time, but this is human being and this is what we need to do. Excellent. Uh, Again, the uh, uh, link to all three articles will be in the show notes.
So every week or every podcast episode, we ask people to send in any kind of HR questions and love getting them. So you can reach out to us at info at oculusinsights.net, or you can just go on to one of our social pages and message us through that. The most recent one we got is, I'll read it out there. I have anonymized it a little bit. I am the manager of a four-doctor general companion animal practice. We have had to make some changes in some of our processes lately. And in spite of the research I've done and the support of the practice owners, the staff, and the rest of the vets don't want to follow any of the changes I want to implement. Boy, have we heard this before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I tell them that these changes work in other practices and that I've consulted with fellow managers. But what happens is the staff not in agreement in our meetings and then don't follow through. What can I do? Mm, such a good one. It is. <laughs> and uh, add to that, I've read a book about it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that yes. would be like the, the uh, crown on that one for sure. Yeah, yeah. So I thought of three things. I put myself in the, you know, in, in some of our clients and in my own situation and, and what I've read in books. But <laughs> number one is what has been the history of change in the organization? So people, we all have good memories talking about, I did something once and I sucked at it, so I'm not going to do it again. Yep. So if you've gone and you've instituted change before, but your own enthusiasm or the enthusiasm for leaders dipped and it just, people forgot about it or, or was previous change associated with upheaval, people quit or there's bad behavior. Or it was abrupt. And, you know, people remember, it was like, oh, I remember when we went down this path before it was horrible. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do this again. Yeah, so badly managed. Yeah. I mean, hey, change is hard to manage. So uh, there are some good books. I'll put one uh, in the show notes too on that because if nothing, we're going through a lot of change now. So the better we can manage change, uh, the better for everybody. Number two, and this one I think is where we see a lot, is a lot of managers are behind closed doors or they've read the book. And, and I mean, we sort of joked about it. The books give us great insights, mm -hmm. but books should not necessarily be applied in every situation. So they read about this great technique and they're like, ah, oh, I got to do it. And they come out and I'm, boy, I'm, Katie's nodding as I'm saying this because <laughs> I know it. anybody has been guilty you know what of I'm this. Thinking. It's totally me. I read this article. Yeah. Like, oh God. Here yeah, go. right. yeah, exactly. <laughs> but does the staff recognize that new processor needed? Maybe they're happy with the status quo. It is up to us why we may need to change something and what are the stakes if this doesn't, if this change doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. That's one of the big things is it's like, you know, hey, we're at a crisis point and things have to change. Or if we don't, this is the result. Uh, and it's going to be a negative outcome. Uh, with that, the next stage is always is to find a couple of uh, really enthusiastic cheerleaders that are going to help you drive the change. But then I think the biggest part of this, one of the things uh, I've learned, and I know we have talked about this in the past, is, is this just this unilateral decision without any cons consultation? Yeah, the kiss of death. For oh, sure. that is forget about it. I mean, but I we have found that if you're saying if you identify a problem and then you go to the staff and say, "Is this real? Is this a problem?" I think it is. What do you think? And really, where the problem may be is maybe a couple of layers underneath what you thought are is a problem. Yeah, the people that are actually on the you know in the exam rooms, surgery, the text, the ones that are doing the work may really recognize there's other areas that need to be improved 
So I thought if you involve them, make this collaborative, you get two big benefits. Number one, ownership of it. So if the team comes up with a solution or the problem and a solution, they have ownership, they're going to be more compliant. Mm-hmm. And number two is they're going to share their insights from their own work, things that you might not be aware of. And that may change the whole scope of what you're doing. So really, it comes down to this collaborative approach. Yeah. Rather yeah. than just saying, we're doing this. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you're in that sort of dictatorship type uh, role, think about how you know, maybe you see yourself in this. So like, oh yeah, my staff never liked these changes that I tell them we have to make. Like have a little look-see in the mirror and see if perhaps uh, you aren't being collaborative when you're trying to make these changes. To me, that's one of the things that I was sort of night and day mm-hmm. going in there saying, we're doing this versus I have an idea. What do you think? Yeah. It sucks, Mike. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and that's fair. You got to be open to that. But at the same time, it's like, why does it suck? That's yeah. the question. And then they can give you the insights. You're like, you know what? I totally missed that. All right. I own that. Cool. And I think Thanks. too, the flip side here is, and you just made me think of that, is if somebody comes to you and they have an idea for something and you're like, okay, well, I, I'm not sure this is going to work. Instead of saying, no, that's not going to work. The end. You have to be, you know, talk to them, like ask questions and talk to them. If you really truly think that it's not something that's going to work right now, tell them why. I can think of people who take it very personally when their ideas aren't followed through on. And I think if you can explain to them and be collaborative with them and just be curious and ask for more information, then it's it's taken a lot better than if you just say, no, that's not going to work yep. and shut them off. Yep. So yeah, something to think about as well on the other side. Okay. So yeah. Uh, info at oculusinsights.net. Give us a shout if you have a question. We're happy to answer them. Sounds good. All right, Katie. So I'll leave you to go back to your employee engagement. Which Perfect. Is fun. And so shameless plug, if you have any interest in learning about employee engagement for your practice, you can reach out the same contact information and happy to set up a call with you to discuss the benefits of employee engagement and how our surveys will identify what your practice does really well and where you may need some help. Absolutely. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Till next time. Thank you for listening to Hire the Smile, brought to you by Oculus Insights. Our goal at Oculus is to support veterinary businesses around the world by helping you clear your path to success. This episode was produced and edited by Heather McPherson. Special thanks to Alyssa Rubenstein for doing the amazing marketing that she does for Oculus. You can see what we are up to by checking us out on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and our website, oculusinsights.net. If you think you could use a business advisor or performance coach, go to advicebyoculus.com. See you next time.